5, where Paul takes what he has just said. The gospel is concerning his son, God's son. The gospel is a power to save. The gospel is a revelation of God's righteousness. Those three things, God the Son saves righteousness. And now Paul will unpack all of that which he has already said in verses 1 through 17. In verse 18, all the way through to verse 5 of chapter 4, he will unpack the whole gospel for us and put it in its various elements, in its various categories, if you would understand that. So let's begin this morning. Paul begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, verses 20. He begins to deal with man's dilemma. Actually, I should have put man's dilemma uh, all the way. Well, I'll just leave it as I have it. Man's dilemma. Paul begins immediately with this truth of the gospel. Now, look at where Paul begins. Paul begins by telling people, We're in the greatest danger. We're in the greatest danger. You see, it's not wrong to say God loves you. God has a plan for you. That's true. But if you're going to say that in order to get someone's attention, say it. But don't begin the process of unpacking the gospel with that. If that's a conversational opener, let it be. Let it be the front door. Come on in. God loves you. Come on in. I have a wonderful news to share for you. Come on in. Invite them in then with good news like that. It depends on the context. It depends on the person. It depends on what's going on. There is no rule to say this, that. But once you get them in and you begin to unpack or explain the gospel, you must begin with man's dilemma. You cannot immediately accentuate and emphasize the goodness and love and kindness and mercy of God because people don't get it until they understand that the mercy of God of God is so great because of our huge dilemma. So let's make, we sh- make sure we unpack it correctly. So we begin with the dilemma. So in verses 18 to 20 of chapter 1, Paul talks about the pagan or the non-Jewish world. All the pagans are guilty before God. Now, we know that. All of us know that all the pagans are guilty before God. In verse 18, Paul begins like this. He says, for the wrath of God, there's the problem. There is the problem. Underline it in your Bible. Why is man in trouble? The wrath of God. The fires of hell. Damnation. Condemnation. Eternal destruction. There is the problem. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men. Why are we in trouble? Because of our unrightness. Remember God being right in chapter, verse 17, 
The rightness of God is revealed in the gospel. Verse 18, the unrightness of man. And what is the result of man being unright? He is under the wrath of God. And the final and eternal consequences of being under the wrath of God is hell. You and I cannot faithfully share the gospel the way the Bible does, the way Jesus does, the way Paul and Peter and John, et cetera, et cetera, do, if we will not mention that because of man's sin, you're under the wrath of God and the sentence of God is eternal wrath called hell. We simply are not sharing the fullness of the gospel if we shy away from these terms. And I know the concern. Well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to alienate someone. You will never alienate a person whom God is saving. You will only alienate those who will be rejecting the gospel. But those whom God is bringing into his kingdom, when they hear those words, their hearts will be pierced. And the hook of God's love will enter their hearts to draw them into his kingdom. So let's be right when we share the gospel. We must share it along biblical terms and categories. We cannot soften this. Well, you're just not going to have a relationship with God forever. That's too soft. Well, you know, if I don't get to be with God, it's, you know, whatever. No, that's not what this Bible says. It says your problem is you're under the wrath of God forever. Obviously, that means you don't have a relationship with God, but the Bible never puts it in sweet terms. It builds it in stark, horrible, fearful reality. You're going to die, and you're going to hell forever. It's a horrible thing. Say, without a frighten them, God is frightening the hell out of us. And we want God to frighten the hell out of people so he will put the heaven in them. Now, I don't mean yelling and screaming, but if it takes a yell and a screaming, then yell and scream. But most of the time, probably 95% of the time, it's a casual conversation, which from your side is casual. But if the person is under the mighty hand of God being convicted, he is sweating the whole time. He is sweating. He's trembling. And when you begin to see this, don't ameliorate it. Don't soften it. Continue. Did you get that, Mike? Ameliorate, soften it. It's... it's <clears throat> Paul begins in verse 18 by his presentation of the gospel. Not with God loves you, but by describing man's, describing man's plight before God. Man's unrighteousness suppresses the truth. It suppresses the truth about God. It suppresses the truth about God's right to rule. It suppresses the truth about God's right to be worshipped and obeyed. It suppresses the truth about man himself. It suppresses the truth. We okay? We okay? We okay? Don't worry about it. God can't be like that. I don't believe in a God who would be like that. Well, you don't believe. That's your problem. But you are still under the wrath of God. 
People tell me all the time what they believe and don't believe. And you don't have to believe that your little baby will run out in the street and get hit by a Mack truck. But when he does and he winds up under the wheels of the truck, your unbelief did not prevent the reality. Let us not allow this world to out-talk us when we have the power and the wisdom of God. Right? Somebody said to me the other day, I was talking about some of these subjects, and I said something about sin. And I was talking to a black fellow, and I said, yeah, you know, well, the problem, you know, is not skin, S-K-I-N. Take the K out of skin, and you had the problem. It's sin. Oh. He said, but I, I don't like the, the uh, idea of sin. I said, nobody does. Who likes it? Who likes the idea of sin? Nobody does. You see, don't let these things, oh, well, well, he doesn't like it. What am I doing now? Well, of course you don't like it because you're in it and you don't want it revealed. I must move along. I don't have that ton of time in here. In verses 19 to 20, Paul explains that man's attempt to suppress the truth about God is without excuse since the truth about God has always been on display. Please don't fall for this. I was in a Bible study the other day, and they were talking about those poor people over there wherever who had never heard the name of Jesus. God will save Every one of his people, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, God will get the message of the gospel to everyone. Every single human being knows that there is a God. There is no such thing as an atheist. I told you why I was on the plane one time sitting next to a young guy going to, we were flying across the Atlantic. I'm eight hours next to him. I think he was thinking eight hours next to me. And we were talking. He's a German young guy, and he'd been here studying, and he's gone back, and, you know, we're chit-chatting, whatever. He's an atheist. I said, no, you're not. What, what, what am I going to say? Oh, you're an atheist. Oh, well. You're not. Declare the truth and let the truth do its work. You're not an atheist. I am an atheist. I am an atheist. I am. And he continued, Caleb, to insist that he was an atheist. And I said, you're not. Finally, he says, what do you mean? Andrew, finally, he, what do you mean I'm not? And so we chatted about that for a little while, why it's impossible to be an atheist. And then he said, well, okay, at least I'm an agnostic. I said, yes. Now, let's talk about this God whom you don't know. Oh, breakthrough with the truth, church, right? Let us be bold, not obnoxious. I was sweet as pie, smiling and just chit-chatting with him. I was sweet. I was sweet as fudge. Sweet. I was sweet, Claude. I didn't pull a 45 Glock on him and put it against his head. I was sweet, just sweet as pie, just chit-chatting with the guy. The truth penetrates him, not my loudness, the truth. Verses 21 to 23, man's suppression of the truth is described, and then it goes through about man's idolatry. You need to read these words and remember that the terrible description of man, the problem here is not the horribleness of their sin. 
It's the, of their activities of sin. It's the horribleness of their rejection of Christ. This is the fruit of being unrighteous. In Romans 1, 24 and 20, uh, 30, he gives the result of man's suppression of the truth. God gives them over four times. What does he say? I think it's four times if I can remember correctly. God gave what? Gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. Now, what does that mean? God gave them into the things that they wanted mostly to do. If you're struggling with a sinful habit, thought, activity, or whatever, be very careful. Be very careful that God doesn't release the reins of his spirit on you in that activity to let you get into that activity too deeply. Be afraid of your sin. Be afraid of your sin, church. I'm talking to forgiven people, am I not? Am I talking to forgiven people in here? Did I say about being forgiven? No, I'm saying be afraid of your sin. Because there is a holy God in heaven who will let you go into the results of your sin, into a devastation that you will lament for a very long time. Quickly repent and throw yourself on the mercy of God. Then he talks to the good people, the church people as I call it, the Jewish people. In chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 3, 8. So Paul now turns his attention to the Jews, those who have the law. Yeah, but that's the pagans. They ain't got no law. They're a bunch of doo-doos. They believe in many gods. You know, they don't have any education. They, they run around in, in skirts and throw spears at one another. What do they know? Of course, the pagan world in this day is the Greek world and the Roman world, you know, the ones that built the beautiful architecture and all the wonders of the world. Those are the pagans. But now he turns himself to the people of God, so to speak. And in verse, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, they are as, so I'm going to sum it all up. These people who have the law, they are as guilty as the pagans who have the law in their conscience. Remember, the pagans have the law, not codified. Codified means number 1, number 2, number 3, number 4, number 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Those ten laws, that word of God, is in the hearts and the minds of the pagans who have never heard that word by their conscience. They know it's wrong to kill, to steal, to commit adultery, to lie. They know it. Why? Because God has put it in their hearts. It's amazing when you go into the most primitive societies that have never heard the name commandments, Ten Commandments. And yet, if you go through their social structure and their laws to see the Ten Commandments being worked out in their society. Not perfectly, but you know the whole structure. It's amazing. Because God has put it in their conscience, verse 215 of Romans. But the Jews have it verbally given to them and presented to them and commanded to them. So they are as guilty. 
Why? Because they have misused the law as their means of being justified before God. See, the law was given so their, the revelation of their unrighteousness may be manifested. So when their unrighteousness and their inability to keep the law, thus the sacrificial system, that inability was to drive them in humility to a God who is merciful to forgive and to empower. But they said, no, this is the way we are justified before God. We will keep the commandments as best we do, and we will sacrifice. Therefore, this we will be justified in these issues. And they reversed the whole function of the law and the commandments and the system of sacrifice. So they were being justified through the law as they misused it before God rather than allowing the law to do what it was intended to do, to reveal and convict of sin. Remember in Romans 7, 7, I had Paul says, I didn't know anything, you know, I didn't know I was a sinner until the law told me. He said, I was doing fine. I was doing well. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't do the other. Boom, boom, boom. I'm keeping the law. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. All of a sudden, I got to number 10. <laughs> what was number 10? What's wrong with number 10? Why? By number 10 says you are not even supposed to want to. Don't covet. You're not even supposed to want to break the law. <laughs> I didn't curse, but man, I wanted to curse. I didn't steal, but man, I wanted to steal. I didn't commit adultery, but man, I wanted to. The last one got you because the last one revealed that you've broken every other one. You see, that's what the law is. This morning, is there anybody in here who wants to sin? Am I the only one who wants? Come on, how many of your flesh wants to sin? How many of your bodies want to sin? Come on, every one of us. So we're all caught, every one of us, every one of us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, what he's doing in this chapter is just giving us a panoramic view, which we will open and unpack in detail over the next four weeks. In verse 9, Paul states Scripture's assessment about mankind. So let's turn to chapter 3, verse 9. He has just told all the pagans and all the Jews, those who are without the law, codifiedly, you know, the codification of the law, they have it in their conscience, 2.15. And those who have the law having been codified through Moses at Sinai and passed down through the ages, everybody, everybody has been sinning. The unrighteousness that I told you about in verse 18, Paul says, is your unrighteousness, whether you have the law that you can see or that you have the law that you can see. Whether you have it or not, as far as you are concerned, you're unrighteousness and you're condemned. So in verse 9, what does he say? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, all, in other words, Greeks, Gentiles, the pagan world, are under sin. Now listen to this assessment. None is righteous. No, not one. That means even Mother Teresa. No, no, really. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. There is no such thing as someone wanting to find God and they can't find him. 
because they don't know Jesus' name. There's no such thing. What does it say? No one seeks for God. No one. We're talking about apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. All, how many? All have turned aside. Together they have become useless or vain. No one does good. What? What? No one does good. We're talking about good toward God, good in a God-honoring way. Obviously, man does good upon the earth, but it's motivated by mankind and for man's glory. We're talking about good as it has to do with God's character and the revelation of his glory. That's what good is here. God works all things together for the good. The good is him. He is good. No one is good except God. No one does good. How many? Not even one. Even my wife is included in that verse. Everybody. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive the venom, venom of asps. You know, that snake is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We have to warn mankind. You see, this is the scriptural... Indictment. This is God's indictment against every human who has ever lived upon the face of the earth except one man. You see, this is the most terrible news, or is it? You see, this part of the gospel is as much a part of the good news. This is good news. You may not like to hear it, Who wants to hear you have cancer? Anybody want to hear that? But if you have cancer, how many of us know it's good news for the doctor to reveal what we have so he can deal? How many of us would agree with me on that? If you have cancer, it's good news to hear that you have it so you can be healed. Are you with me on this? Every man, woman, and child is in this indictment from verses 10 to 19. And so the good news is we've have to let them know. So this is part of the good news as any other part. Because in setting forth our true condition as we stand before God, we are passionately and permanently embrace God's remedy. We will passionately and permanently embrace God's remedy. We will not embrace Christ the way we are needing to if we don't have this revelation. So you cannot say, oh, I know your life is in shambles. I know you're having some difficulty. You know, you need to accept Jesus because he can fix it all. That is idolatry. We're in rebellion against God. We have got to see the nastiness of man in his natural condition without Christ. Even the church today doesn't see it. We in here simply, I think, too often don't see the hellishness, the hideousness, the damnability of our own personal sin before God that has already been forgiven because of Jesus suffering the way he did. We have too light a view of sin. 
if you have a child and you go to the doctor and that child has cancer and you say, doctor, operate on him, but don't hurt him. Get his most of it. Because I know if you leave a little bit, it's going to be okay. Uh, Tara, is that your attitude about Jonathan? What is your attitude, mama? I can't hear you. One more time. They need to hear you. Take it all out. At any, any pain, take it all out. Why? Because your life, the life of your son is at risk. Ask the Ryans what they feel about cancer in their son, Jonathan, and see if they have a lighthearted, easy, carefree attitude about cancer. Has your attitude changed about cancer, mama and daddy? Yes. And our attitude about sin should be so much worse. We sin because we don't think it's a big deal. Oh, I must move on. Therefore, you see, we must not ameliorate, soften man's condition so that the power of God's forgiveness will have its full effect to save and to sanctify. There's so many in the church today who are probably saved and who are not doing well under sanctification and are not allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do because they've never seen the depth of their depravity when they were saved. There is not a point or an aspect of man that is not touched by the fall. Now, we're not as bad as we could be because the Holy Spirit restrains us. But there is not an aspect of any of us at all that is not touched and polluted and damaged and under God's judgment by the fall. We're totally depraved. Every aspect of every part of us is absolutely under sin's control. There's not a thing that is without it. The remedy... Now we enter the rest of the good news of the gospel. What is the remedy? You see, all mankind is locked down in the cell of sin, waiting the wrath of God's judgment, every man and woman and child. But, and in this section, Paul finally tells us how to be rescued from our terrible plight. How? The way of escape is through the sacrificial death of God's Son. Then in verses 22 through 4, 5, the apostle gives us our response. Our faith in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's only payment for our sin. That's our embracement of God's remedy. Man's works of merit are excluded. Man's only acceptable response before this holy and righteous God is faith. Believing in and falling upon his merciful forgiveness in the death of his son is a full, final, and forever payment for all of our sin. So we've learned the four basics of the gospel, which will be unpacked over the next four weeks. God, man, Christ, remedy. I mean, result, response, okay? <clears throat> response, all right? God, man, Christ, and our response. We will see that unpacked. So for next week, let's go ahead and read chapter, what is it, chapter 2? Is it chapter 2 that deals with a God? Am I right on that or not? Yes, okay, let's read chapter 2. And I would also ask you to read pages 35 and 36, right? The bottom of page 35 to 36. And you'll see a nice summary of what he's talked about here. 
So be blessed and return next week as we go into more detail now concerning God and the other elements. Thank you so much.